As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Hello and welcome to the Let Me Tell You podcast from the Irish Examiner. In this podcast, we are looking at some of the most dramatic events in recent Irish political history from the unique perspective of one of the key players. Today, we want to look at the events surrounding how Ireland led the way in shaping public health policy across Europe and the world when we banned smoking indoors in March 2004. Here with me today to discuss his pivotal role in that move is former Taoiseach and current Taunashe and Minister for Foreign Affairs, Michal Merton. Taunashe, you're very welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much indeed, Paul. It, it, it's a very interesting story. We, 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 we touched on it there that we led the way. Um, before we begin, we have a clip. Let's hear it. 15 years ago today, I introduced the smoking ban in the workplace, which gave protection to workers from the harmful effects of passive smoking. It also transformed the quality of life and the experience of people in pubs, in hotels and in restaurants. And particularly for those with respiratory illnesses such as asthma, uh, CF and many others, um, here to, here, prior to the ban of course, uh, they w- they, many could not go into hotels or pubs. Thomas, that was you nearly four years ago now. Uh, the, the smoking ban is almost 20 years, years old. It's something that we all almost take for granted at this point. Can you take us back to where you were in, in maybe 2003 when, when this became, I suppose, on the, the agenda for, for the government at the time? Well, I suppose the genesis in the first instance was <clears throat> I became Minister for Health in 2000. Um, and you meet various um, units within the department or teams um, and um, I would have met Tom Power, principal officer at the time uh, in the Department of Health who was passionate on tobacco and an encyclopedia, had an encyclopedic knowledge of the tobacco industry and of the issues and he would have briefed me on sort of ideas and so on, uh, particularly around legislation uh, which we subsequently enacted in 2002 on tobacco, banning of advertising and so on. But within that bill, it was a very radical bill and within that bill was uh, the, the, the idea of um, a ban on, on, on passive smoking in the workplace. Um, so that was a general uh, legislative template. Uh, we had tried to get it drafted initially from external, but the draftsmen, parliamentary draftsmen, um, tottered about that and <laughs> insisted on doing it themselves. Kind of interesting <clears throat> in itself in drafting legislation. But we eventually got that drafted and then we moved. Um, that involved the establishment then of the Office of Tobacco Control. Tom Power then the service became the chief executive officer of that and that really then began developing the capacity to really implement some of the changes such as a, a ban on smoking in the workplace. So a lot of this, the genesis, is in, is in that bill and all the subsequent measures around um, disappearing it at the point of sale, you know, putting it in drawers underneath, take it away from suites, all that's in that bill. Um, and this was just one aspect of it. 
Um, but uh, the, the Office of Tobacco Control was very important because that developed a research capacity. It also developed consultations. So, for example, long before we announced that we were going to do the ban, we had got trade unions on board, Mandate, uh, and SIPDU in particular, who represented both unions, represented bar workers and so on. Because traditionally, the tobacco industry would have um, patronised unions across the world, kept them on side. Um, whereas early on, uh, Tom had the view that let's get the unions on side for a potential uh, tobacco ban and let's frame it in the context of protecting uh, the workers in the workplace. But there was some, um, some kind of talk <coughs> around it at the time that, that workplace really only referred to things like offices or, or, or shops, that it didn't really extend all the way to, to pubs and clubs. Yeah, although we were fairly clear early on that, that it would, but of course the biggest opposition yet yeah, came from within the hospitality sector um, because of course they didn't want to see it in the context of a workplace, but of course for the bar worker, the hotel worker, the restaurant worker, it's their workplace. But that quickly became the, the focus for the debate and huge opposition within the industry um, against the introduction of, 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 of the ban on passive smoking. What was also important was that the Office of Tobacco Control did peer-based review uh, on, on um, passive smoking globally, all the studies that were done around the world. That group, Shane Allwright, led it. Um, they came to the conclusion it was a carcinogen. And the problem for me then is not a problem. The member for minister is, you're presented with him, and Christy Mannion would have been my advisor at the time, and he said, look, this report is going to say, and this was Christmas time, I think, in 2003, 2002 yeah, Christmas, yeah, January 2003, we announced it and gave ourselves a year to implement. But uh, you've got to make up your mind here now. Um, it's saying it's a carcinogen. So, so the, the imperative was there, you had to act. My view was, yeah, some people thought we'd be doing a kind of a partial ban. You know, you might do three quarters of a building or half a room or whatever like that, but... I was saying to myself, could you do that with asbestos? Like it's, it's that was the situation in France where you had smoking and non-smoking sections of, of yeah. restaurants. So that, yeah. was, that was the law. But it wasn't, I suppose it wasn't keenly enforced at that time. Was it, was it a hard sell around the cabinet table to, to go and say this? How did, how did Bertie Hearn react? Well, it was quite funny in, the, in the, the first cabinet meeting in the sense that it took them by surprise. But, it, but I'd given, I said, look, I'm going to announce this today. Um, but that, this was January 2003. Um, and, uh, but... It, we'll be doing it in, in January of 2004, right? Um, and um, I remember Bertie came running down the stairs after the cabinet meeting saying, when is that coming in again, you know? Mm -hmm. So I said, um, I know it's 12 months time, I said, but we've got to work on this, we've got to build up and so on and prepare people and all that. And that kind of, there was relief on his face. <laughs> because I think there was a few, probably publicans around the, the, the table who kind of said, this is daft, this isn't going to be implemented. And um, like a lot of people thought it was not going to be implemented. Uh, a lot of people thought it was a bit daft initially because it was completely new and to a certain extent okay it was being talked about and to be fair there was a lot of debate within the doyle um and the opposition were on board with this as well to be fair there's a lot of publicans in the doll as well so how, how did they react was your phone well they, they all over the year then like no one took it they all felt like okay i announced it in january 2003 they all felt this will be watered down by the time we get to next year that was the general view so we kept working away on the uh, on, on the band, bringing groups over, set up a public health alliance, uh, and then the debate started heating up uh, in the latter part of the year, I suppose, uh, when you look back on it. Um, and it was mainly within the hospitality. Then you get a lot of stories emanating where clearly we were clearly of the view the tobacco industry was now 
firming up against this very strongly. So you'd have stories like, I always remember front page story in the Star or somewhere, cab drivers say this is inoperable, who's going to police them? And you get all these kind of stories that, sure, this can't be implemented. It's ridiculous. Um, and then there was a well-known meeting, I think it was in Tullamore, when the publicans met. And one of them sort of said out loud, like it's carried on all the main news, we'll show them who runs this country. And that was a really tipping point moment because the public reacted negatively against that. And I remember being stopped in the streets by people who I didn't know saying, you keep going and you ignore them. You know? And people, we suddenly realized that people want this. Like the general public want this. The po- politically, a lot of people thought there'd be a compromise at the end of it. And I can recall in my own parliamentary party meeting, there was suddenly, eventually they called for a meeting on this. You know, it's getting hot. All the publicans were lining up in all the clinics. The length and breadth of the country, there'd be 10 or 15, 20, 30 publicans going into a TD at a weekend saying, you can't do this. Um, so it, and I remember the first six speakers were against it. And I said, Jesus, I'm in trouble here a bit. But look, I always said Michael Mulcahy was a TD at the time. He sprung up, said, I'm for this. And then four or five more came, which enabled me to say it has been a very good discussion and I'll take on board the views that have been expressed and I'll talk further on to people. And, but it was interesting. Then, I'm jumping here, the Ardesh was the crucial one for the, our own TDs because the Ardesh gave a unanimous standing ovation to myself, but not only me. We had brought in... Um, I remember Noel Davern was the great opponent, the late Noel Davern, a uh, great character, but lo- smoked like hell. <laughs> and there was a cardiologist in Cork, Tom Ahern. He was the first cardiac surgeon. Sorry, he's a cardiac surgeon. They came to Cork. Uh, and I said, uh, we made him a Fianna Fáil member overnight. I said, would you do me a favor? I need you down at the Ardesh. Um, in Killarney, he was in Killarney. And I want you to get up and talk about your experience as a cardiac surgeon and tobacco. And he did, and he got a standing ovation. Um, and I remember Davron coming up to me because Tom was originally from Tip and Davron was a funny kind of guy he said of all strokes to pull you know to produce a cardiac surgeon at the at the Ardesh and um, a lot of peop- members were telling their TDs get in line um, there was a queue waiting to meet me going into the Ardesh because I'd just done the late late show there was a big late late debate uh, the, the previous night which was 50% I think Pat Kenny was the uh, doing the late late at the time uh, that was 50-50 you know 50% of the audience he had lined up with different groups against it uh, 50% for it and so on like that and um, so it, it, was, it was probably the first ever major public health debate in Ireland um, ever was, was there ever a moment you, you've kind of mentioned touched on the, the fact there that the tobacco industry wasn't coming to this fight empty handed they would have had huge resources to kind of push that, that debate and, and make it look organic, uh, as you've kind of touched on. Was there ever a point where in that year you thought, I might have to water this down, we might lose this, this, this debate? Oh yeah, there's moments when we were quite worried, like we were always conscious of a legal battle and that they may go to the courts and eventually we set up our own, we, got, we, re, we actually brought on senior barristers and retained them because we discovered the tobacco industry had retained all the big houses in Dublin. Right. Uh, so we couldn't get at them, so we got senior barristers in to come in. Uh, Rory Brady was a fantastic help as Attorney General. The other moment was the Hospitality Alliance went to New York and they came back saying thousands of jobs were lost in New York because New York as a city did the ban. Um, so I then decided, okay, let's go to New York ourselves. I often joke afterwards it was the first ministerial pub crawl officially in New York. I went around to pubs literally. Uh, remember young Tiberi lad behind in one bar, he didn't recognise me from Adam. I said, how does a smoking ban go in uh, New York? said, 
first three or four weeks difficult flying ever since. And we got very rave reviews from the people working in the pubs because they said, it's, first of all, it's cleaner. Hotels were quietly for it, but they couldn't really put their head above the parapet. And I always remember um, uh, the, the hoteliers had come to me, um, I think it was Dick Burke, was a, from, from, formerly of juries, came to me quietly and said, look, Hotel Federation, not 100% against this because we reckon we'll save a lot in furnishing and paper, and, you know, decor, sorry, and all of that. Um, but the restaurants and pubs were, were, were more opposed to it. So that, that moment with the New York thing gained traction from the, for the Hospitality Alliance. The other would have been the legal side of it. And every now and again, you'd be worried would there be a wobble on the political side. Um, towards the end, and the other big wobble then was um, getting the legislation right. And eventually we brought in primary legislation. We didn't just rely on the Tobacco Act. We had to harmonise that with health and safety. So that got very... Um, challenging and difficult. And then, just prior to January of 2003, unknown to the department, um, this EU, which is quite well known now, anything that might affect internal competition in the EU, you had to send it to the Commission for um, three, Austria, three months' notice. The Germans invoked it, and the Austrians did. Now, the Germany at the time was seen as a bastion for the tobacco industry. They had huge influence in the German government. So they essentially delayed it for three months. Uh, we had to announce that in January, that we couldn't go ahead in January. You know, I got a, got a fairly bad doing at the time in the media. And so I remember the Irish Times had one scathing editorial about this delay and all that. In the end, it proved very useful because, of course, it meant a March start and the weather was much better. And people actually were outdoors genuinely, even, you know, not, not, not rowing. <laughs> but could you imagine trying to start it? in a very cold, freezing January. Uh, so in hindsight, it was a great blessing that that was invoked. But I remember going to the German, going to the Austrian. Uh, I remember asking John, John Gormley had any influence in the German Greens because they were in government at the time. And he said, no, said, John told me they were impossible. There's just this relationship with the tobacco industry in German politics. So after that, that delay then, the, the ban comes into effect on, yeah. on, on March 29. We have, a, we have a clip from that day. Dawn at Dublin's fruit and vegetable market and not a cigarette in sight. This is a workplace covered by the ban. As the new law took effect, early morning workers had mixed views. I think it'd be good for the country at the end of the day. And I'm a devil for the cigarettes I eat, but sure, we'll have to deliver it. At Brendan's early morning cafe in Smithfield, diners were having a smoke-free breakfast. I think it's a good thing, all right. Like, it might give you an incentive to give them up altogether, like, you know, so hopefully now it'll be a good way of giving them up. Very upset about the whole thing. I'm upset with the intrusive nature of the, of the government in every area of life. So there was, I, I suppose there was some talk, and you kind of touched on it there, that this the ban would kind of come into effect, but people would just quietly, quietly ignore it, that it wouldn't be enforced. Were, were you worried about basically intru introducing a piece of legislation and, and a set yeah, of regulations? that was the panic, yeah. I mean, not panic, but the fear. Like, what happens if there's mass disobedience? You know, what do you do? Um, and I think the, what we learned as the debate went down is that the public wanted this, actually, in the end. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Um, but the New York public health people were very good 
gave us very good advice. They said, have you done anything on compliance? And we looked at them, because we asked them that question, like, if you were doing this again, what would you do differently? They said we'd worry less. We wouldn't be as fearful. People will implement this. But you need to work on the compliance. And what does that mean? It means, in advance, working with the publicans, the hoteliers, saying, here's what you must do. Put up a sign, get rid of the ashtrays. Basic steps. Compliance isn't going in day one, finding someone and, or whatever. Um, and the environmental health officers were fantastic. I mean, we asked them, would they do that work? And they did it with enthusiasm. They looked for nothing, just said, because they were committed, passionate people on this anyway. Uh, and they implemented that side of it for us. But that would have been the fear. But the New York Public Health kind of put us at ease and said, actually, the public will go with this. Um, and, and generally, that was the position. There was one breakout in Galway, uh, remember it. And, um, but the Attorney General came down like a ton of bricks uh, with, 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 or not, with kind of legal... Um, letters going and saying what would happen. We'll sequester your assets and everything. So it was kind of, uh, but it, it didn't last very long. And there was, you know, the public wanted it. That, that ultimately, and it's a great lesson for me later in life in other legislation. You know, there are certain people do obey the law, and and there was a really fair wind behind it by the time we got to implementing it. There's a possibly apocryphal story about the Jerry Ryan show sending reporters to yeah. to pubs across Dublin. Was that when that? You know, the, the story goes that you know they, they had the reporter take out a cigarette at the bar and, and the barman told him you can't you can't smoke that here first day of the smoking man was that the kind of moment that you thought I, th I think we've won here yes <laughs> the report came back at about six in the morning i think when the doctor's pub you know the late hours as we call them um in when jerry's uh, researcher apparently uh opened the cigarette you know, guy was observing and behind the bar put in the cigarette box on the, the counter took out the cigarette, all this kind of work going on, and he, he said nothing. And that, as she was about to light up, uh, he said, no, no, today's the, the smoking ban. And the chair went up in the Department of Health, apparently, when they were listening to this. <laughs> so that was the moment, yeah, we said, we're, we're, we're out the gap here. <laughs> you, there was a very... No, by the way, there would have been, like, I always called him my guard of honour, like, um, the, the, in fairness, it was the chronic smoker was opposed to this, uh, the person on 20 fags a day plus. Person on five, you heard it there, the person on five fags a day, we were beginning to get evidence research showing they want to give up. So anything that helps them to give up, they'll go with it. Same with the 10 sig, sig person. And so your chronic smoker was in the 20 plus sort of fags a day. Uh, they were kind of against it strongly. And you'd meet them going into the pubs. Um, I would, like, and they'd be a guard, I call them a guard of honour, like, and they'd be kind of, yeah, just because you were out here, no, and I just kind of stopped. <laughs> so, <laughs> there was a very high-profile example of, of the law being broken in the, in the doll itself when, when Fine Gael's Justice oh, Judge yeah, person, yeah. John Deasy, uh, lit up. Uh, what was the reaction to that? I mean, that, that was, I suppose, from a public point of view, it, it kind of almost hammered home the government message that, that you know, nobody's above flouting the, this Hello, law, that, yeah, that, that, yeah. that you can kind of be, be punished. I was very surprised that... that John did it at the time, you know. Um, no, John would be, in fairness, John has, uh, comes from a tradition of strong, independent thinking and so on like that. I think fin Finian, um, I was the other guy who he voted against it, Finian did um, at the time, and uh, good old debate with him on, on it and so on like that. Um, but I, I, I uh, you know, at that, I, I was surprised at the time, and I think it was, and Kennedy didn't move very quickly at the time uh, to stamp it out to be fair to him. And I think that did send a powerful message that. There's no one floating the law or fudging the law here, you know. 
Were you conscious then of that that civil liberties aspect? We heard <coughs> in, the, in the clip there about intrusiveness in, yeah. in government life, and you yourself would have been seen as uh, as kind of almost, I suppose, some of the criticism was, was personal around you. You know, Michal Martin doesn't like you know people being unhealthy, or you know feels it, it's okay to impose his. <laughs> his beliefs on people were, yeah. were you conscious of that was that was that something that you were well doing? we were i mean when i mentioned tom power earlier tom passed away subsequently uh, and um when i mentioned he was an encyclopedia, encyclopedia knowledge of the industry we anticipated all of this and one of the key weapons of the industry was to create the nanny state idea it's interesting you know people picked it up uh this is nanny statism gone mad they're going to dictate to you how you're going to live your life and that's the powerful weapon against public health in general we had a bit of a joint COVID. You know, similarly, it's, it's a classic. Um, public health people are seen as nanny statists who want to just interfere in your life. Um, and the libertarian will say, I live my life in whatever way I want to live my life. The key here was framing this in the context of a worker protection legislation. That was what won it in the end. Because you, you, we have a duty to the worker that, that you create a, health, a healthy and safe environment. And that was the key, I think, legislative template that got this through and defeated the nanny statism argument. I mean, that was a big weapon um, by the industry, which they deploy all of the time. You know? It was a success. It garnered a lot of international <coughs> curiosity. We have a clip here. The story has clearly caught the imagination of the world's media. Dublin was today swarming with camera crews and journalists from as far afield as Japan, Russia and the United States. Well, there seems to be a, a huge amount of interest. Remember that uh, in the United States, in New York, uh, smoking was banned uh, in public spaces there, so there's some sort of precedent for it there. A lot of interest uh, from the American domestic audience uh, as to how this is going to go down in Ireland. The Minister for Health, Michal Martin, talked his way through countless interviews, including with TV stations from Norway, Sweden and Holland, which are all introducing similar bans soon. It seems interest has been sparked by increasing health concerns, a fascination with the Irish pub undergoing such a change and the idea of a government legislating on it. Well, huge interest because uh, I think what our countries have in common is a, a love of legislation that then isn't always applied. There is a ban, for instance, in restaurants in France where parts of the restaurant you're not supposed to smoke and you know, but if you go to a restaurant in Paris you'll find loads of people flouting the law so. and what all these foreign journalists and their audiences will want to know next is how exactly the ban works here so next year we'll be looking at 20 years of this ban it's been relatively seamless I mentioned today that there's there's kids born today who can legally drink who've never been in a pub where you could legally smoke which is I suppose is that, a, is that a point of pride for you, is the fact yeah, that... Yeah, I mean, that was the ultimate achievement, that we would denormalise smoking. Yeah, that was part of the wider agenda, too, you know, in terms of tobacco. Because when I became Minister for Health, there was various data, you know, and the data tells you smoking kills. Of all products, you know, this one kills, but it affects every kind of a disease. And I always remember watching a skeleton, looking at the skeleton of the WHO in Geneva, and about 100 diseases springing from the body caused by tobacco. So I was very determined about it. Very, to me, if you're a Minister for Health, it should be a passion for you, no matter what your views are. You're the Minister for Health, you have a fundamental responsibility on prevention, lung cancer, heart disease, stroke, yeah, respiratory, CF. You know, my own nephews, I didn't realise, had one of them had asthma. Brother had told me I never went to a hotel with him or a bar with him until this thing happened, uh, and, and, and so forth. The public health uh, doctors, the ASH, Luke Clancy, uh, Fintan Howell, 
Um, and, and, and Deirdre Glan would have worked with Christy as two advisors. It was a huge effort, Eamon Cochran, uh, Michael Kelly, the section and the department. So the department got well behind it. Um, and yeah, I, I think the fact that it had the impact it had subsequently on health and that then other countries started uh, following suit, you know, and it was very interesting. To, like the debate across the European Union was interesting. John Reid was the sec- uh, uh, head secretary in, in the UK. He was not a happy punter. He said, what are you trying to do to me? You know, because suddenly the, the, the movement grew from the grassroots in the UK. Um, and then uh, Salmon came over here, I think, and he wanted to do an initiative and he was sceptical first. He left Dublin then, kind of convinced in Scotland did it, I think, first. Or Wales were first, Scotland, and then uh, I think England. And other countries did row in behind and used the Irish template and used the Irish example to kind of sell it. Was that was that something you were you were proud of to, to kind of? Absolutely. I mean, I was thrilled when the House of Commons on a vote of conscience. They gave them a vote of conscience on it. It was a free vote, uh, and I was in with Enterprise Ireland at the time. I'd moved on from health, and it was just it was a great sense in me that UK now had followed suit. The big thing was at the time. They couldn't get their head around Ireland banning smoking in the Irish pub. Like there's a, there's this image of the Irish in the pub. The Department of Foreign Affairs said it was the highest inquiries they ever received in any one day into the embassies all over the world. Um, I, I underestimated all of that myself. I didn't when when the, the, the ban happened. I didn't anticipate Japanese crews, the European crews, CNN. They were all here, um, and I was kind of more relieved to get it over the line. Suddenly they're all in Bewley's uh, when we launch it. Um, and um, so the, the international interest was something I hadn't quite anticipated, the, the, the degree and level of it. You know? And I think it was, it was the, the New Zealand health minister said to me, I mean, I'm telling our people, she said, if they can do it in Ireland in a pub, we can do it anywhere. And that, I think, gave people the sense that this is doable. Is, is it strange now to see that the, if you go to EU buildings, there's still smoking rooms? Is it strange for you to, to see that? Yeah, I'd, I'd be kind of annoyed about it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, think, you know. and then the impact, I suppose, of e-cigarettes and vaping in yeah. Irish pubs now. It's a lot easier to kind of get away with discreetly doing that. Yeah. Do you think that's kind of working around the law at the minute? Yeah, I, I, look, I would be of the view that this is the tobacco industry uh, coming back at us. Uh, it, it's, it's the revenge of the industry, but and I'm very angry about it. I think the, the number of children and young people vaping now is too high. And we have to start again and, and, and sort this out. There is legislation coming to ban under-18s vaping. But vaping, what strikes me about vaping is no one seems to have done any quality control research. How does a product like that end up on the market? Like we've lots of quality control around a lot of food products and so forth. But I, this kind of, this, this new product, which nicotine at the core of it, um, ha, has emerged. And it's again, just like cigarettes were, it's again targeting the young people with flavours and so on like that to make it attractive. And that's shocking. And I think we just have to firm up faster and get moving on the legislative template to, to take this on because there's no benefits from, from it. Uh, and there's too many young people know, a lot of parents are saying it to us, a lot of teachers are saying it to us, uh, that the incidence of vaping is, is, is growing. Uh, finally then, what would you say is the, is the overall impact of it? What's the legacy of, of the smoking ban? Did it achieve what you set out for it to, to achieve? Did it go beyond that? It went beyond that. I mean, not only did it, the first instance was protect workers, and it did that uh, very strongly in terms of their immediate environment, um, had a positive impact on stroke, uh, reduction of heart disease, and reduction of, lo- reduction of lung cancers. And medics keep saying this to me every time I meet them, um, that it was a very significant transformative effect on health. And then the ultimate prize that, you know, the figures are there, I think it's less than 5% of young people now smoke compared to 20-odd you know, percent back then. Um, so 
the denormalization of smoking. Uh, this was part of it. Uh, and the idea that you said it yourself, there are children now today, 20-year-olds uh, today, you know, who have never experienced um, the, the, the cigarette in the pub or, or in a restaurant or in a workplace, or in a workplace, you know. I mean, when you look back at some of the meetings, even the cabinet meetings when we were joining the European Union, you, know, you could see cigarettes everywhere, you know. Um, and political meetings were full of cigarettes. And the other one was musicians. Um, you know, the musicians were thrilled. And a lot of them were getting a thank you card from Christy Moore. My regret is I didn't hold on to it somewhere, you know, because um, it was right on, was at the end of it. You know? <laughs> so um, the musicians, even though they couldn't really come out in advance because it's their bread and butter and the venues and so on like that, can, can you imagine performing with all that smoke coming up at you? Um, and, um, you know, so it, it, it just freed up life for a lot of people that we perhaps, and as I said, we hadn't envisaged in the, in the, in the beginning. So you look at people with CF, cystic fibrosis, with asthma and so on like that, they could now go into pubs and restaurants properly and, 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 and hotels. Um, so, yeah, I think it was the denormalization of, of, of tobacco for young people. Brilliant. My thanks to Michal Martin for joining us today. This podcast is produced by Daniel McConnell and myself, Paul Hosford. Join us next time for another episode of Let Me Tell You. Bye for now. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.